welcome to the found cause where we found our cause and serve the lord jesus christ i'm michael the man behind the machine and to my right your left is sebastian the bookkeeper and virtually we have theodore under the pc the hey theodore you know what today is it's not actually today because we're recording at a different time and it's not even the time you're listening to this because we already missed it but uh our sunday so your two past sundays if you're listening to this on it's facebook was reformation day also known as halloween um I know it is Halloween because I come from a regular family, but to those Christian families out there that that remember days like that, it's also Reformation Day, celebrating Reformation, trying to get rid of the devil's favorite holiday, Halloween. So, in in honor of Reformation Day, um, we got a hammer, but we're not cavemen. Um, Martin Luther, of course, starts the Reformation by nailing his 95 theses onto the church door, the message board of the church. Um, there's some like myths about that, like everybody like gathered around it and was like, oh man, it was a big moment, but it was really a pretty mundane moment, an oral thing for him to do. Um, but in honor of him, we were planning to take Sebastian's laptop, which he has written about 95 theses for the modern church, and we were going to um, find the message board for the church. I think it's online these days, and we were just going to nail it in. So Sebastian, you want to hand it over? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <clears throat> we're not dumb like Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> No question, the topic for today's episode. What do we do for Reformation Day? We're not reacting to some crazy heretics on YouTube. We're not reacting to um, some crazy theology particular topic. We're going to talk all things Reformation. We're going to talk about was the Reformation good? Was it bad? What were the good parts? What were the bad parts? I hint there's there's both. Um, what would it take for a modern day Reformation? And then uh, what would we even reform to in the church? So we're going to take the history, which is Sebastian's favorite part. And then we're going to take the modern application, which is Theodore's favorite part. And we're going to keep... Um, Michael from Nailing Things, which is everyone's favorite part, and go from there. Or people. Or people. I hardly nail anybody. Okay. Here we go. Reformation Day topic number one. Was the Reformation good or bad? Let's take a, a poll just amongst us three. Was it good or bad, Sebastian? Hands down, good. All right. Cedar, what do you think? Hands up, good. All right. I also think the Reformation is good. What do you know? We're all Protestants and so not very surprising. However, I will say, I listen to pundits out there, um, Catholic and Protestant, political and non-political, and there are some Catholic pundits, um, if you know the Michael Knowles from Daily Wire, also Matt Walsh, that are really anti the Protestant Reformation because they're Catholics, and so they consider the Reformation, of course, evil. There are also some, like, like some of the conservative resurgence and the like manly men out there with the big beards and they're pro-Trump and they're anti-Biden and they're anti-vaccine, whatever. So I've got a warm heart for them. They're super into Eastern Orthodoxy, as I had said um, last week when we reacted to somebody being kind to the Eastern Orthodox. Um, but equally, they're also often into Catholicism for whatever reason. They're like the fringe extra Orthodox movements of those two generally weak and liberal churches. So, um, the Protestant Reformation is sometimes maligned as something that was actually a bad, an overall bad for Europe, that pre-Reformation Europe was a better, more Christian Europe that was more unified and had all the law of God and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I aspire to a godly society. So part of me is like, if that's really what the Reformation did, which was made a less godly society, then yes, it was bad. And there were parts of the Reformation that we should own up to. So let's first talk about the bad parts of the Reformation before we talk into some of the obvious goods. The Reformation, just as a summary. Maybe, Sebastian, you can give a summary of the Reformation since you're the history man. Yes, yes. And please, I want to start with this right away. We're not called Protestants because we protest. I think I lose a year of my life whenever someone says 
we protest. Hence why we're called Protestants. No, that came much later at the Diet of Speyer in Germany when the political princes of the Holy Roman Empire back then, they were complaining about the to the Catholic Emperor about enforcing Catholicism. So very different. And protest is a formal way of saying we disagree with the law. That's why it's called protest. Exactly. They just so happened to be evangelicals, which is the word Luther wanted ascribed to his movement. Not Lutherans, not Protestants, evangelicals. With that out of the way. It's normally a Reformation Day celebrated on October 31st because that's the day, 1517, is when Luther went to the church in Wittenberg and posted his thesis there. It wasn't anything dramatic. It wasn't anything, you know, there, was no, there wasn't a crowd of people, like, you know, holding their faces. There weren't babies, you know, crying in admiration at the moment. He wasn't, you know, kissing any babies either. It was just, you know, your normal morning. I have some ideas. Who's going to take me up to debate? And then next, you know, there would be the missing goat, you know, grandma of the town has cookies prepared for everybody for All Saints Day. You know, it, was, it wasn't anything dramatic. And it just so happened that he was criticizing something very, very important happening at the time, the sale of indulgences, mm -hmm. which was a magic piece of paper that you could fill in the blank. You know, they, they mass produced these, by the way, that you could put in the name of your dead relative after giving money to the church, the Catholic church. You could get an indulgence and then that would shorten the time of someone in purgatory. We have gone over the theology of Roman Catholicism, so this is just an overview. You can look at our Catholic videos for more information on purgatory and the church itself and all the funny moments that the church has gone to. But that was the main critique Luther was giving. And he was convinced, he was convinced that he wasn't leaving the church. He actually wanted the Pope and his supervisors to know, hey, there are these really weird people who are extortioning money out of poor yeah. peasants. It's like, do you know this about this Archbishop of Mainz, Pope? Do you know about this degenerate person, Tetzel, who is making these weird rhymes and saying obscene things? Like, if you even if you rape the Virgin Mary, my indulgences can forgive those sins. So, and little did he know that it was the Pope and the Archbishop who were behind Tetzel. So... That's what got him into trouble. That's what led to all the things that we know in the Reformation spiraling. Peter's giving us some some uh, visual oh, flair yes. with uh, the oh, indulgence money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in summary, classic. I mean, you learn this in like every Lutheran school. I never went to Lutheran school, so I would know. But uh, Peter, you did. Uh, that that Martin Luther was initially mainly against uh, indulgences, the sale, the money-making sale of the forgiveness of sins, which is of course anti the gospel it's what jesus told the disciples not to do not to acquire money silver or gold for their for their money belts as they go out and share the gospel so that's the indulgences is not right um of course it doesn't pay any sins at all it's all live in the catholic church however like you're saying sebastian it wasn't supposed to be a splitting of the church it was supposed to be a reforming of the existing church not a societal breakdown of everything but like you said there are a couple uh there was a lot of tinder at the moment for the, the for Martin Luther's actions to ignite um, a lot of societal change because previous movements that had regionally um, created a lot of change and upheaval had happened before and had been snuffed out by the Catholic Church in the past. So the, the, the revolution of Jan Hus in Czechoslovakia, modern day Czechoslovakia, um, or Czechia today, and and um, Waldo in Italy and southern France. Where's Waldo? And Tyndale in 
England, there had been reformers of different regions, but this particular reformation happened in the heart of the Holy Roman Empire, which was um, the biggest nation in Europe technically at the time, so it hit a lot of um, the population centers of Europe, and it directly um, countered the Pope, and Martin Luther, importantly, ends up being able to escape execution and live, and so... Um, and there was the printing press out and they had already seen a couple reformations die and fail so this one was like set up to succeed in any case so it wasn't that the the particular issues at hand were um worse or better than than like hundreds of years prior but um it was time to change and god set it up to change and interestingly if you if you follow our history that we've been going through church history on your own um, the other churches around the world, because there are churches that were outside, that were godly churches outside of the Roman Catholic Church at the time, um, they had also started to wane. So it's kind of like a worldwide period of waning, for the most part, of righteous living amongst Christians. And so God was reigniting something in the Western Church, which is what I would call the Catholic Church, the Western Church, um, to come back to his faith. So were there real Christians in Europe? Undoubtedly. Um, and were there no real Christians like for a hundred years prior to the Reformation? No, I, I protest that um, view. But the Reformation was an important changing of the church as a whole, and of course, I would say that's a good thing. So that said, let's talk about the bad parts of the church, because of uh, the Reformation, starting with, I'll say one, and then we can go around. One of the bad things that the Protestant Reformation caused was war. So um, at the time, and still I would argue kind of happens today, a state is and a culture is created by its religion. And so the countries of Europe at the time had different cultures because they had different languages and different kings. However, they were united in a common Christian culture, and that is mainly a Roman Catholic Christian culture. And the Roman Catholic Church overplayed its importance. And so even if different regions were different technically by the way they did their religious practices and beliefs, um, they all believed themselves to be Roman Catholic and, and adherence to the Pope and other things like that. So... When the Protestant Reformation was splitting from what the Pope said was true and what the Roman Catholic Church said was true, it caused a societal split where you had to choose either to be with the Roman Catholics or against the Roman Catholics, which is um, which was a, which was a super political issue at the time because mm -hmm. to go with the Roman Catholic Church was to go with your particular country. And if you went against the Roman Catholic Church, you could be going against your particular country. You couldn't just be your little state. It couldn't just be your family was going to be different. You either were with the country or against the country. And so whole countries were flipped. It, after, you know, one day later, whole countries would go Protestant or whole countries would go Roman Catholic and they'd want to purge all the people who didn't agree with them from the country. And so that kind of chaos created um, what's called a, a 30 years war, which is wars of religion, which was foreign powers um, from around Germany, the Holy Roman Empire, trying to attack their Holy, Holy Roman Empire to change its entire official religion to either Protestantism or Catholicism. And so most of the countries in Europe got involved at one point or another throughout the 30 years, and they would ransack towns, completely destroying them, robbing them, killing the people um, as part of these wars to try to um, get portions of the empire or whole portions of modern-day Germany and a little bit more territory um, to choose either Protestantism or Catholicism, or Catholicism because if you were a Protestant country yourself, like uh, Denmark or Sweden, they would want to change Germany into being a Protestant country because because religion and politics were so united, if Germany was Protestant, they were likely to be friends and friendly and stop warring against the Danes and the, Swiss, and the Swedes and the Norwegians. Um, but 
the uh, on the flip side, countries like Flan France were Catholic and they wanted the Holy Roman Empire to be Catholic. So it caused a lot of wars. The Thirty Years' War is said to have the biggest impact on the population of Europe since the Black Death. So populations plummeted, a lot of people died, and there was a lot of suffering and wealth destroyed in the Thirty Years' War. So that is a bad part of any big societal upheaval is that a lot of people died in societal people. Mm -hmm. A great irony is that it actually started with Bohemia, with Czechia, mm -hmm. in which the Palatinate uh, reformed individual, he inherited the throne of Bohemia. So it was like, big no-no, you can't have a Protestant be in charge of Bohemia. Ironically, you know, the land of Jan Hus, who's someone who preceded right. Luther. Any other bad things? Certainly there are. Do you guys have any bad parts of the Reformation? Yes, I do have. Well, I had two good things. Well, but... save it, save it. Yeah, we got plenty of good things. Oh, okay. I thought we already mentioned some good things. No, 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 Theodore. We have to drop. Thing. We have to drop some bad things first. So it led to a lot of crazy okay. people who would have been snuffed out by right by the church to roam freely. And and you know you might be saying, you know, what's it's it's terrible, you know, to our American ears to condemn people or like you know either banish them most people were actually banished like was i'm reading about the radicals just go they, to a different country right that's what they want you to do yes and they actually did that so executions were not as common it was mostly later on during the during the wars of religion that you see heresy trials executions and whatnot but early on people are just banished so only very rarely are they burned at the stake or hanged or drowned or whatever anyway there were a lot of crazy people who didn't conform to either the Catholics nor the Lutherans, the evangelicals at the time, so they went their own way. They're known as the radicals. That's their name. The most famous one would be the city of Munster, in which you can see cages today of the people that, that after a battle, they were hanging there. And we would consider the, the people that tried to reform the, uh, the radicals in Munster were truly radical, polygamists. Um, Adamites. Almost, yeah, Adamites. They were, they were actually heretics, evil, deceiving their people, hurting their people, crazy cults. So we would all sit there and condemn though that group. And they were stirred up by, we would say, they were stirred up by the fact that there was people questioning the Roman Catholic Church and the religions of the day. And so naturally, they also questioned Protestantism and Lutheranism of the day. And so they made their own fringe cult, which again, is a product of unconformity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some of the radicals were not that radical, and we would consider them good today. Like Anabaptism, being baptized again, is something that we practice today as Baptists. We get baptized, we get baptized as believers. We, we practice credo-baptism. But that was considered radical in the day because it was changing the way countries officially um, recognized how many people they had in town. So before they used babies, they were baptized. Their name would be put down on the church rolls as being baptized and a member of that church. And so the counts and lords and, and nation kings would go around to towns and collect taxes based on the church rolls, the baptismal rolls of churches. But um, credo Baptists believe that you, you got baptized when you actually became a dedicated Christian, and that would change the way taxes were assigned, populations were counted, and so that was considered radical. And there were a lot of performers, including John Calvin, who I respect, um, who were viciously against that because they believed it would cause a, a breakdown of society and they thought it was unnecessarily um, antagonistic against the powers of the day and so they would create i think wrong theologies like covenant theology um, to try to defend baby baptism and condemn um, anabaptism so anabaptists sometimes were crazy you know like they were the the munsterites or they were um, some of the mennonites who i disagree with their their 
principles mm -hmm. not all of them but a description of their principles however some of them were, were natural like regular just all they were was anabaptists and everything else about them was orthodox and they were persecuted mm -hmm. the worst of all were the anti-trinitarians which would give come out in this time period to unitarians they would flee again many were not killed executed on a spot they were just kicked out of town so they went to either the mountains of transylvania where they had a an official unitarian country for a while or poland and then some random pieces of Poland were Unitarian. But yeah, you had a bunch of randos who would not have been allowed, for example, to preach or teach or live, had you, been unified. Yeah. Do you have any bad things about the Protestant Reformation, Theodore? Um, I think the greenhouse gases from burning people at stake. And <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, uh, global no, warming. No, I did that. I would say one of the common complaints I hear about the Protestant Reformation, but I do want to push back on this, is that the Protestant Reformation opened up this whole time of questioning things, kind of like the Renaissance supposedly did that too. And so questioning things led to the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment is a time where they questioned everything. So not only was it cool scientific advancement, as we say today, that was, you know, we call the Enlightenment a good thing, but often people point to it and say it's actually a bad thing because it caused um, societal division, right? People weren't united, they were divided, even within nations. So it caused more civil war, and it caused people to become secularist and of course secularism is the plague of the modern day of all these countries in europe the united states and north america becoming secular and communism becoming secular and secularism is an evil fake religion so they credit protestantism with questioning orthodoxy and those who also question orthodoxy are secularists and so they say ergo protestantism created secularism i would say to everybody this is when knowing history and funny pope moments actually come create a beautiful harmony because what had happened just a hundred years before luther there were three people at the same time claiming to be the one and only true pope and countries in europe did not know what the heck was going on they were allying with somebody then they would switch alliances they would support one candidate this went on for almost almost 80 years so you're telling me that protestant uh, reformation caused division and see this is even worse because you're supposed to only have one pope but now you have three for a second you had four popes but then they only had back one they killed the other, the other yeah. ones so they had one. and I, I would say that the protestant reformation um was not what caused the the enlightenment a lot of people say that um but the protestant reformation happened and stuck around for like 150 200 years before the enlightenment really kicked off so although they happened sequentially right it happened before the enlightenment the enlightenment came, happened after the protestant reformation i would not credit the protestant reformation for the enlightenment i believe the enlightenment is much more of a product of the the societal changes amongst families which really doesn't have much to do with protestantism it has to do with industrialization and the, the furthering of technology so I would say that in the industrialization, the Industrial Revolution caused the Enlightenment, not not the Protestant Reformation. So the Protestant Reformation was very conservative um, for what it was. Like we just said, they were totally against Anabaptists for most for the most part. So all of Europe was still had lists for heretics, right? And people like John Calvin, reformers like Ulrich Zwingli, and even Luther himself and his his predecessors, they hated heretics and they would pursue unity and control and um, hierarchical society church and, and state and all the church and state stuff so they were pretty looking for stability so the fact that there was wars of religion and questioning of the roman catholic church i do not think produced the enlightenment we know it doesn't produce the enlightenment because the enlightenment doesn't happen in 1520 it doesn't happen in 1650 it happens in 1700 or 1690 1720 and those are the times when yes protestantism was entrenched however um, enlightenment thinkers often came from countries like Austria 
and um, Italy and France. And these places had Protestants like any other place, but they were majority Catholics. And so it wasn't like the Protestants were the ones uh, creating um, Enlightenment thinking. Again, I think Enlightenment thinking comes from universities sticking around for a while and um, from the breakdown of the family structure and industrialization. So I would say those things caused it. So you, the Enlightenment, you could argue, is good or bad, and that's for a different discussion. But I would not say the Protestant Reformation caused the Enlightenment, so I refute that bad thing about the Reformation. Any other bad things you guys can think of? We have massive war, we have abundance of heretics, and we have a refutation of the fact that it created the Enlightenment. The Peasant War? The Peasant's War, yes. So I would... It's not the war of religion that I was talking about. It's not the Thirty Years' War, but it was a result of the Protestant Reformation, and that is the peasants of northern Germany decided to rebel and not pay their taxes to their lords, believing that um, that the law of God precluded them from doing it. Like They believed that they were lawfully not required to pay their dues to their landlords um, because they were free in Christ. And so they used as an excuse Martin Luther's teachings of the fact that they weren't beholden to the Roman Catholic Church and um, that we should go back to the law of God and, and other like taking Christianity seriously to advocate for essentially the overthrow of their current landlords, um, which caused a massive um, political problem in northern Germany because the northern German lords said no we do own this land and so you can't just take it from us and not pay your taxes and so they went and killed a ton of peasants and the peasants had burned down cities and other things like that so there was a peasant war in northern Germany but Martin Luther um, to his credit some people would call it his discredit because the title of this book but he wrote a whole book and treatise against peasant uprisings and he was very pro especially because of the chaos at the time very pro um, orderly governing bodies and not uprisings like the peasant rebellion. So he, he wrote a book called something like like a, against the stinking masses of peasants and their filthy lies or something like that. It'll be long. Something harsh, yeah. yes. Yes. And so Martin Luther himself was anti this, but it was a result of his teaching, you could say. Uh, question or clarification. The peasants would probably not have been able to read the Bible, right? Uh, it depends. I mean... No, they would have. They they would have be they would have been able to hear it at least even if the literacy rates if weren't great. If they were to be able to read all of it, they would have read like work with your hands, be in debt to no one, um, serve your earthly master like not like God, but serve God and serve your earthly master. Yeah, yes, they would have. Yes, um, I would say they they were much more interested in the political aspects of the law of God, which I mean, I'm also interested in those too. It's just uh, they they were using it, I think, fundamentally as an excuse. So Theodore, you're right. The Bible doesn't call for mass peasant uprisings and it has a godly role for government. It doesn't always it doesn't call for the overthrow of government for no reason or for for high taxes. Um, there are calls for resisting particular laws from the government, but it doesn't mean replacing your government. It just means resisting the particular laws the government is doing wrong. And so, yes, if they were taking the Bible and it's full, they wouldn't have done it. And that's what Luther argued as well. But because they now had, um, there was a little bit of chaos in the elites, uh, they decided to use it, I think, as an excuse to overthrow their lords. And so, like Sebastian was about to say, Luther did translate the Bible into German, the common tongue. So now they had the Bible that was understandable to them, even if they couldn't read it, they could hear it from their clergymen and um, hear about the law of God and hear some new ideas. So 
again, I, I guess you can fairly say that, that Lutheranism caused the peasant revolt. But frankly, peasant revolts happened all the time. And so it wasn't like this was a super rare occurrence in history that only occurred because of the Protestant Reformation. It did occur because of the Protestant Reformation in this case, but there were many other peasant revolts in the past that, that nobody seems to talk about because <laughs> they weren't caused by anything except for peasants being upset. So I would say, yes, that's a bad thing. Yes, it was caused by the Protestant Reformation, but it's not ridiculously bad. And I would say it's not a rarity. It's not, it's not unique to the Protestant Reformation. All right. It's Reformation Day, so enough down on the dirt about the Protestant Reformation. We all said the Protestant Reformation was a good thing overall. So what makes it a good thing? Theodore, you said you had two things. How about you start us out? What are two good things about oh, the Reformation? Oh, I have four things down. Um, well, you mentioned that uh, Martin Luther translated the Bible. Mm -hmm. And turns out he did that in while he was like in hiding, right? Yeah. It, and he translated the New Testament from Greek to German in two and a half months. So... That's a positive. And his um, influence in reform, church reform, educational reform, so that more people could be educated and able to read the Bible for themselves. And then eventually, uh, today, basically everybody can have access to the Bible in their language. Um, so right. But which we would call a good thing. I mean, some would call it a bad thing. Like some hardcore Roman Catholics out there say that you shouldn't be able to interpret your Bible yourself and you need to go through the priest. Otherwise, you come up with crazy interpretations yourself. But we would all say the word of God right. is edifying. We want to be able to read it ourselves. We greatly enjoy it. Right. We learn from it. It creates better Christians. And so, yes, we appreciate that product of the Reformation. Yeah, I think we'd all agree. In, in mass, um, there's things that are clear enough that basically allow us to understand God as we should and also uh, receive salvation. Um, oh, and then one thing I was just, just a quick quip. I was thinking it's better for one person to be saved and changed by God than for a hundred or a thousand or however many people to think that they can earn salvation themselves or change themselves and not understand God as we believe that God would have us understand him. Right. So even if you had the entirety of Europe um, being Christian, whereas now you have some like some secularists like Europe has and then some real Christians, it's better to have real Christians than to have no real Christians, which I agree, because that's really the dichotomy. It is better. It's better to have a Catholic society than to have like a Hindu society, I would argue, because it's closer to the law of God. However, um, I would trade a real Christian amongst a bunch of Hindus for no real Christians and a bunch of Catholics any day, like you're saying. So I agree. Having real Christians in Europe um, is a great boon. So the fact that the Protestant Reformation brought the real gospel of the free um, gift of Jesus Christ that, that fully pays for your debt um, is a a much better thing than um, the order that was before, but that repressed the gospel. All this goes to say the gospel was present before, I would right. say, in my humble opinion, the Fourth Lateran Council, when the Catholics doubled down on transubstantiation, the need that you have to go to Mass, you know, get the sacrifice, re-sacrifice, unbloody sacrifice of Jesus, get your salvation every time, repetitive, to do penance, you know, you need to do things in order to earn the grace of God and merit it in that in that sense so until then 
I would say, you know, from zero to 1200s, they, you would have had real Christians in Europe. But after that, Christianity around the world starts to get whew, just down. Yeah, no, I would argue that just because the church official made something, like they had the Fourth mm-hmm. Lateran Council and made some some unchristian things official, they emphasized the Eucharist, um, not the real, not the word Greek Thanksgiving, but the false version, the false gospel of the Eucharist, that that pays for your sin somehow, um, that the church official had gone astray. But there were still local churches that were preaching faithfully. There were still faithful Christians in Europe, and I would argue in Eastern Europe and the East as well. However, the majority of the church had turned away, which is always a bad thing. So the Reformation, I would say, in total, turned the church back to the proper gospel. So prior to the Reformation, they were real Christians. Post the Reformation, they were real Christians. But the church at large turning back to Christ is good. We shouldn't poo-poo that. Here's a good thing that most people might not think about, that priests could marry now because of the Mm -hmm. Protestant Reformation. It's something that Nestorians, of all people, got right before any other Christian denomination in the 400s, they said, you can't be a celibate monk. You have to get married as a priest. So, And we would hold today, my denomination, Baptist, Reformed Baptist in particular, hold that elders, so leaders, priests in the church, um, that they should be married, as Paul states in First and Second Timothy. So we would say a qualification for an elder is being married today. And um, there's some like arguments around that, but certainly there's no requirement not to be married. I think we'd all agree with that. So... Um, I agree that priests being married is a good thing. It, no longer are they priests. We're all priests. So they're, they're just the leaders of the church, the elders of the church. Yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. And the pastors, um, pastors that are married, not only can, I think, minister better to married couples, which is what most people say that Paul's intention is for, for the requirements for eldership being marriage, um, is so that you can witness to other married couples. But I think it's also good for um, the purity of that particular man because there is, and I believe were, major problems with um, supposedly celibate monks who weren't really gifted with celibacy and so they would go and sleep around whether with women or men or boys or whatever so there's many stories in the middle ages of of monks and uh, priests abusing animals women and boys alike and so today the same i think notoriously so we would say that a celibate priesthood is probably not celibate and therefore they should not be called to celibacy and I've talked about this in this podcast before, but I think in the modern days, we're so anti-marriage that um, one of the big problems in America is rampant sexual immorality. And I think one of the big obvious um, conclusions of having sexual morality is to call for Christians to get married um, if they're having sexual issues. Um, not to just like marry anybody, but to strive to get married, not to delay marriage. And um, on that topic, we don't do that today. So I think that equivalently with the Reformation, maybe we'll talk about that in a third part of this episode, um, some things the church could be doing differently today mirror what they tried to do in the Reformation back in the day, which was encourage marriage. Martin Luther would go out and break up um, nunneries when regions would convert to Protestantism. They would mm-hmm. make nunneries and monasteries illegal because they didn't want this practice of godly celibacy staying. You could be celibate, right? But don't make it like your th- your requirement for your sect, right? Your little old club, your nunnery club or your um, monastery club. So they would break them up and they'd try to get monks to marry women um, for godly marriages and bringing mm-hmm. up offspring and the edification of the two, all the reasons for marriage. And so uh, Martin Luther ends up actually marrying one of the nuns that he um, freed from a nunnery. Yes, on the note of just marrying someone random, yeah, don't pull a Luther. That It actually was a happy coincidence that they were both fit for one another, I would say for the providence of God, but... Well, he didn't want... I mean, the... 
Classic. He didn't want to marry it, so yeah, but he he yeah. was just marrying anybody as you were. Classic saying. Luther. Well, I think he was impressed. Classic Luther story, if you're not familiar. Mm-hmm. He broke up a nunnery, and usually they assign it to a bunch of monks. So the the usually they would try to assign the nuns with the with the like monastery monks, right, who also were unmarried. Um, but there's sometimes a mismatch, and this particular nun, the one he ends up marrying, refused to marry anybody but him. Um, so he refuses to marry her for a while because he's not in the marrying mood. Uh, plus he's Martin Luther, and he's like, you're coming after me for my my fame, girl. Uh, but she must have impressed him enough because I think she had done, she was a head nun at the... Yeah, Catalina. Mm-hmm. Catalina. Um, in any case, I don't know the full romance story, but she, he does end up submitting to marry her and does marry her. I don't believe it wasn't like a spur of the moment. He did wait and refuse her for a while, but uh-huh. he did end up marrying her. And she ended up being a, a good wife by all counts. Like he would be depressed. He had fits of depression. He would be depressed, praying incessantly in his basement. And she would come and um, chastise him for being so depressed because they were... They, were, they had everything, right? They had Christ, so of course he didn't need to be so depressed. And he was um, mad at the time in his diary, but ends up like thanking his mm-hmm. wife for being like that. So, uh, you know, a little cute love story for the Reformation. Uh, but in any case, yeah, I would say a non-celibate priesthood is a good thing. I would also say, if I can just keep talking, that a good thing about the Protestant Reformation was it started to break up the church and the state. It was not the thing, but mm-hmm. I would say that if you're ever to argue that the Enlightenment came out of the Reformation, um, which I would I would say it didn't, but I would def I would argue that the things that came in the Enlightenment, some of them came from the Reformation and wouldn't have happened otherwise. And the separation of church and state really was started in the Protestant Reformation. Not every country did it, and as we were just describing, it church and state sacralism is what it's called was still very much a thing. Mm-hmm. So many Protestant reformers you think of John Calvin, Martin Luther, whoever were pro sacralism, but the seeds of separating church from state happened with the chaos that came out of the Protestant reformation. And so I would be a certain proponent of the government, civil government having its own sphere of authority that is separate from the church. And the church has its own sphere of authority. That's separate from the government. That does not mean that the church does not influence the government. The government doesn't influence the church, but it means that they have different spheres of authority. They don't have the same sphere of authority. So when the government says to do something, the church does not have to do it unless it's in the government's sphere of authority. If they're reaching into something they shouldn't, you don't have to do it. And equally, if the church says to do something that the government doesn't have to listen to, the government does not have to do it. Right? If the church says, um, you need to use tax money to um, pay the poor, the government doesn't have to listen to the church to do that. Now, they, they can listen, right? If they're members of a church, they can listen and listen to the arguments the church is giving, but they are actually the ones that decide what happens with tax money. And equally, if the government says, you can't meet for church, it's too dangerous, there's coronavirus outside, um, the church doesn't actually have to listen to the government in that regards because they're the church. They decide when they meet. It's not in the sphere of the government's authority. So those are things that came out of the Protestant Reformation because of the chaos of the Protestant Reformation that the people started to believe, yes, they started to agree with the biblical concept that there are different spheres of authority and that because religion was constantly changing and governments were constantly changing, we should give them their own spheres and respect their own spheres of authority, which I think is the proper way of government. Mm-hmm. It didn't help to see all the actual corruption, like, for example, the Archbishop of Mainz, which was he was the governor of the city in Germany of Mainz. And also he was Archbishop of the Catholic Diocese, you know, the right. province. So he was both church leader of his area and governing a small city and the surroundings so it didn't help that he was one of the main funders for indulgences and also you know it was also throughout church history had been also a bunch of corrupt people who've been misusing their political authority and their religious authority because they were one and the same mm-hmm. any other good things theodore 
I'm set. You, Sebastian? I think we got them all. Okay. Well, hold on. There's, we did not get them all. There's a lot of good things Go ahead, in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, I would say also the fact that the Protestant Reformation, so it's got you reading your Bibles. We said that it's translated the, the scriptures. People are reading their Bibles. We've said that it um, produced good marriages because the priests were suddenly marrying and they were able to advise on, on marriage as well mm-hmm. if they're married mm-hmm. better. Um, and then I said that it started to separate church and state. I think it also brought in um, stronger evangelism from Europe. Uh, Europe ends up being an evangelism center whereas it used to not be. And some would say that's out of the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution. Yes, I think those things contributed. But um, I believe that because the Protestant Reformation came with fervor for the truth and it produced um, Reformed theology, which is from the Reformation, Reformed theology, which says that God is able to save whoever he wants, regardless of how how hard their heart is and that he does have a people from every nation. It produced a lot of missionaries that came out of europe so they didn't just go and like convert the slavs like they had been doing for the middle ages they'd like go those people are a problem they keep invading us let's go convert their lands right that's what they had done throughout the middle ages and the dark ages um but because europe had christianized for the most part in the time and they had this new fervor and they had reformed theology behind their backs and the confidence and courage that comes with the sovereignty of god and that god can accomplish anything um, the Protestant Reformation also produced worldwide missions where they would go to Africa. They would go to China. Of course, this happened over the, the decades and centuries, but they would go to the places where they could and preach um, well, not just creating little outposts like the Puritans did, but also outreaching to people groups who would normally hate the gospel. And that has brought the light of the gospel to, in the modern day, to um, Africa, to China, to South America, to North America, you know, to all the peoples of the world really have heard the gospel at this point. And so I would say that is a result of the Protestant Reformation, not um, not the Eastern Church, not the Eastern Orthodox Church, not the Chinese Church, not the African Church, but the European Church that has evangelized the world. So I... The European Church is, of course, not a very great church right now as a as a continent, <laughs> and most nations in, the, in Europe are, don't have great churches that are living there so it's not some grand racist statement saying europe is superior it's just the tool that god used to bring the gospel to all the ends of the earth um, he had already brought the gospel to all of europe and to, to good parts of the world already but he used um, for good final push from europe to push it to the rest of the world so i think we should be thankful to the Protestant Re- revolution for that and thankful to god who brought it about okay there may be actually some sounding i was i was thinking you know that might be stretching michael but seeing the catholic reaction to the reformation by putting together the Jesuits who are the evangelizers, so to say, of Catholicism, that they went as far as China, as far as, you know, they wanted to win the Orthodox back to the Catholic fold. They went as far as Russia, you know, they went everywhere, infiltrated everywhere. So I think that there's some sound. Yeah, it's very sound to say that, that such a counter reaction, counter reformation was needed because of how much fervor the Protestants had. Um, You go on all day about some of the things the Protestant Reformation brought, but let's bring it into the modern days. We talked about the history. We talked about some of the bad things came out of the Reformation, some of the good things. We said it's an overall good, a boon. The question is, today, there are still church issues, right? There's still things that we freak out about. There's still things we disagree with fellow brothers and sisters about. There's things that we we say are dividing lines between non-Christians and Christians, people who think they're Christians, like Roman Catholics, and those who don't. Um, What would it take today within our own church. So those who we believe are fellow Christians, or at least are claiming to be fellow Christians um, within our own church. And I'm excluding Roman Catholics, people that we, we exclude. What would it take today for there to be a reformation? What would be the, the line? So back on Martin Luther's day, it was um, salvation by faith alone. And 
the abuses of the church like indulgences is there a similar line that we'd say if the church does this we need to break off from the church and reform so much so that we would like declare the other side anathema and found our own cities and towns and move away and create little communes of just our sect are there issues like that today that would spur that are they present today where's the line i'll say right now uh, oh, go okay. ahead theater well i think uh just today we got a pandemic of tolerance yeah uh-huh per se um because just like in revelation uh the angel chastises um whatever church for being tolerant of evil and immorality right. mm -hmm. um, and obviously many churches are doing that nowadays in order to um cater to more people or because they value their sense of compassion more than tr like truth mm -hmm. um yeah Sorry. yeah i mean i agree and that's i think right now especially during coronavirus time especially these last two years i think that the church has um it's been revealed to the conservative believing christians in the church how how political um, the gospel really is. And I don't mean that to be woke myself or be some freako that wants us to go like <laughs> protesting in the streets with signs. I would say that the, because politics is just what we do, it's how we live out our beliefs, that of course Christianity, which is a belief we should hold dear to, will live out into our politics because politics is belief. And for those who think we can separate church from politics, um, they're wrong right because because politics are run by people who have sincere beliefs and so while i strongly agree with the separation of church and state i strongly disagree with the separation of religion and politics because religion is politics they really are one of the same um you can't separate one from the other so those who believe that you can have christians who have radically different politics um that's that's something that i think needs to be reformed out of the church so i'll, I'll give my two cents here I don't think that the current political issues in the church, because there are political issues in the church right now, because there are those who believe you can have radically different politics and still be in the same body. I would say that is wrong, that there is a wrong view of politics that's so different that it needs to be excised, and that um, that that there are churches that tolerate um, radically different political positions that shouldn't be tolerated. So that's rampant across the U.S. I don't think that there is such a dearth of believing churches that don't do that, that we would need to split off and create our own sects like they had in the Reformation time. I would say we should be true to the word Reformation and try to reform our local churches if they're pushing towards um, that conciliatorism, that, that lukewarmism like you're describing, that uh, tolerance of evil, Theodore, whether it's um, homosexuality or it's abortion or it's... Um, just general laziness about spreading the gospel or it's um secularism and humanism and some of the like universalism that's brought in by modern politics and and religion the religion of the day uh if it's those things i think we should try to reform the church local but there are enough godly churches that have reacted against that that i don't think that we need to um split off and make our own sex like i had said so i would say that we don't need the 
the kind of reformation that we had at the Protestant Reformation today, God has still left a godly and sizable remnant in this country that we'd be able to join up with and fight alongside of. I think it's much more productive to be able to join existing movements than it is to create a new one. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That was also Luther's intention. You know, he wanted, yes. it was the, the enemies who, of God who actually kicked, kicked the poor guy out rather than him leaving. I would say one that is very dear and close to my heart that many churches around the U.S. and also around the world, in Europe probably to do it, is that they don't believe in biblical inerrancy. Right. Mm -hmm. That one breaks my heart into many pieces. And that one is something that I would say, this is my take on it, do as you may, that is worth, I would say, you know, separating or something. Because if you don't believe the Bible is real, then why are we gathering here every Sunday? Why I are you had, preaching? Yeah, I had a very interesting, if I can go off on a tangent, I had a very interesting discussion with um, somebody at my church about this who believes in biblical inerrancy, but he was claiming that it shouldn't be a dividing issue because... Um, England, for example, Anglicans, who I don't think highly of, but they, <laughs> they are technically Protestants that would technically be believers in the gospel. I just don't think often they do. Um, but that they, by and large, reject biblical inerrancy because they say, this is the phrase they use, and I really despise it, but this is the phrase they use. Um, they say, well, if you learn that in reality, um, creation wasn't in, in 6,000, 8,000 years, whatever, whatever numbers might be, in the Genesis, that it was a literal time mm -hmm, frame. Mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't that, right? So it really was four billion years old, because that's I mean, this is the ish, the issue that causes people to be non-biblically inerrant is creationism. They're, you know, they might have other issues that they add in there, but creationism is the one they have a problem with. Um, then I would still believe the Bible, and therefore I don't believe in biblical inerrancy because I allow the Bible to be errant in that part. But that's really just faithlessness. They don't believe Genesis 1 and 2. So they say, we want to believe the rest of the Bible. And so they're trying to be faithful while having faithlessness in parts of the Bible. And so they would say, if in reality, Genesis 1 and 2 were, were incorrect, it doesn't mean I'd lose my faith. And you, biblical inerrancy people, you would lose your faith if we were able to 100% determine that Genesis 1 and 2 were wrong. And I would say, uh, yeah. And I'll bet, you know, like bet, fight me. I think Genesis 1 and 2 are clear enough that if they were wrong, yeah, I would leave the faith. And they go, <gasps> I remember actually, if I can even say this, Theodore, <laughs> one of our internal discussions um, right before the podcast was even a podcast, but just our, our small group that this podcast started from with um, our friend Isaiah, who was on the first couple episodes, he was coming out of the same kind of school of thought that like, would you reject Christianity if Genesis 1 and 2 were objectively wrong? And I said, yeah. And he was like, you know, like scared. He's scared of that. And it's not just him. And, and he's come out of that anyway. So praise God. But that fear, because they really don't believe Genesis 1 and 2. And they want to believe the rest of the Bible. And so they're afraid that, that you'd have a doctrine that would actually, um, that would make them leave the faith. But they wouldn't. Like I, I think genuinely there are Christians who have that fear. Like Isaiah, this, this guy that we had. I think he was genuinely a Christian before he came to the biblical inerrancy conclusion. I think that biblical inerrancy is a secondary issue. It's just a very important one. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think that, there, I mean, but there's just so many churches that aren't biblically errant churches. There's plenty of biblically inerrant churches out there that we don't need like, flag-waving reformation to fix that one. I would advocate that we believe in biblical inerrancy, um, but 
I don't know. I, I don't think that's a Reformation style issue. I'm glad you're more optimistic then. We'll keep okay. we'll keep with an optimistic yeah. spirit in that case. But I do despise errancy of the Bible advocates because they're just, it's just faithlessness. It's condoned, mystified, solidified, scholarized faithlessness. They don't believe Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. A concern that I see primarily in Europe, and this is actually the inverse of what the earliest heresy was in the church. The earliest heresy was Gnosticism, where well, you die, sir, but you know, they die. Gnostics, they believed that the divine is so great that it couldn't even, you couldn't conceive of it becoming into, coming into the physical world. Look how the tables have turned. People now, they only think of the physical world mm-hmm. and they think that the spiritual doesn't even exist. So I understand this is, you know, taking a step further be- beyond inerrancy, the Bible inerrancy, but yep. there are those who say that this is people who call themselves pastors or, you know, for female pastors, what would they be? Pastress? Pastorettes, yeah. Or priestess, I suppose. <laughs> but that it's just a nice book of stories and, you know, this is just a nice teaching and make the world... I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is God. It's all like code word for homosexuality is good and I vote a Democrat line. Like, oh gosh, I don't know how you twisted that one around. Um, I And equally, so on, on the Democrat front, too, we talked about this too, but there are Christians who vote Democrat. Would I correct that? Yes. And I already said that I think that that is wrong, not because Democrat is like a word that is unholy and like it says the Bible, don't vote Democrat, but the values of the Democrat party are not God's law. And so it's really a God's law issue. And so I would say that valuing the values that Democrat party value aren't earnestly is a rebellion against God. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No, but it means you're a sinning Christian. So I would call it out as churches. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think that you as a church should rightfully tolerate um, such diverse political beliefs. So I do believe you can tolerate a large amount of differing political beliefs, but they need to be arguable from the Bible and, 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 well argued from the bible so democrats argue from the bible by saying you should love your neighbor therefore you should agree for 40 percent tax rates and redistribution to the poor and then i would point to god's law and say that's not what god says how to care for the poor and you are uh, you're actually refute not only are you adding to god's law with random other laws right and we can i, I think that's like a tolerable if you're wanting to add random laws to god's law i would disagree with that i think we should stay to the base level but it's arguable from the bible however if you're directly refuting god's law you're saying homosexuality is good. You're saying that um, abortion is good, mm-hmm. that murder shouldn't be punished, that thievery shouldn't be punished, right? Those are the things that I would say, not only are you um, in, you're not arguing from the Bible, right, correctly, but you're also refuting plain evidences from scripture, plain teachings from scripture. And therefore I would say that shouldn't be tolerated in church. You should be reprimanded for that. doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but you should be reprimanded just like you should be reprimanded for sexual morality, for thieving yourself. And so... I would think if I was going to create some reformation in the church, I don't think it needs the Martin Luther style reformation. However, I would think the American church needs to recognize once again, how political religion is so that we um, apply it to our politics and don't tolerate um, that level of diversity in, in the church, because it's not healthy for people who are trapped by the lies of, um, politics and equally it's not just democrats there are republicans on the republican side that have the r next to the name right and they're supporters of donald trump but they advocate for abortion there are plenty of republicans that advocate for abortion there's plenty of them that advocate for super high tax rates that are unbiblical they advocate for um, foreign intervention and wars that they shouldn't that the bible wouldn't support and so um if they have the same kind of of recognition of what god's law is and then 
refutation of it because of their politics, I would say that should equally be corrected. Now, I think more often than not, the Democratic Party is, is anti-God's law than the Republican Party, but it stretches to any politic, right? It stretches to libertarianism and whoever, so it's not a pro-Republican message. It's really a pro-God's law message. And if I wanted to reform the church today, I would push on that front. You're saying biblical inerrancy is the bigger one. Yes, because why would they listen to God's law if they don't... If they think that God in the Old Testament is a big meanie <laughs> I mean, yeah. and Jesus this nice, different God, like, oh my gosh, that's another... that Okay, okay. Saying Protestants because we protest, that makes me lose one year of my life. I lose five years whenever someone says God in the Old Testament is mean. Jesus is. I just think that like the layman, like scholars maybe are, have a problem with biblical errancy, but like the layman, the regular Christians have a problem with the politics issue, but not a problem with biblical inerrancy. Mm-hmm. So, cause they believe it cause they're regular old faithful Christians. Right. So they're like, yeah, I believe the Bible. Um, they haven't been to college yet. So they haven't learned all the like, weird things to be worried about. Um, that Genesis 1 and 2 might not be right. So I would think the law thing is a bigger issue, but you're saying biblical narrative, which is valid. That's a good thing to reform the church if, if that's the problem. What do you think, Theodore? What would be your crusade if you could make one for the modern-day church? Well, I was just under the impression, like, what what will it take to reform or what should we do to reform? Well, what would we be reforming to? So you said yourself that uh, one of the big problems that you see is um, tolerance of, of evil, right? So what would mm-hmm. you do... How would you reform the church out of that? I'm not, you don't need like um, step by step well, or anything, but. Nailing laptops to large wooden church doors. Yeah, that's a start, right? Just slamming but, those things in, 95 Thesis posted on the church door. But relating to that, I think uh, interdenominational discussion and like deliberate disciplined discourse um between different denominations so that there's like enough transparency and education and teaching for um all the church members so that they can see for themselves um and that we can assume that most people are reasonable um i mean that's an assumption right there true but what else can we do uh, except assume the best uh, in them or of them. So just, I think, um, good discussion like Luther was trying to make. Okay. So I'll be try to summarize then. You would say Reformation, we should be reforming to a more like cohesive Christian body in the U.S. instead of being so separated with our dominations? That would be good. Like, if there's a few denominations, sure, but if there are, like, ten denominations and then a thousand sub-denominations and then all these things and people think that these differences are big, and some are, um, so, yeah, I think a lot of discussion, transparency, and that would solve some of it, um, but then it's obviously up to the person who they choose who they surround themselves with in their environment um and then well and i've discussed on this podcast before because this is just I'm, so i'm just spitballing here don't take offense theater i have talked about um we had an episode titled what would it take to unify the church with the same principle like what would it take for all the like faithful protestant denominations in the u.s to come together and, and form into one and 
I think in one hand it's tempting. So this is just my opinion here. I think on one hand it's tempting to have us all unify. We get separated. We're kind of like the classic um, snake from the American Revolution where it's like divided into 13 different parts and it says um, you know, separated we die, unite, unite or die, whatever. So I'm, forget, I'm forgetting the Gadsden flag's name, but um, unite or die, right? Because if you separate, you're going to die. You need to unite into one snake and then you're a dangerous animal. Um, I do think that would be useful. However... I also see the value in separate church denominations that carry like a certain sort of a federalism, right? Like one might be doing a good thing and then all the other churches that weren't doing that, like learn from that church and then start doing that good thing. And because they were separate denominations, they weren't like in groupthink mode. And so they were able to experiment with different things and uh, survive and thrive in better ways. Like the Methodists, um, our denomination that used to be faithful and now we're increasingly becoming non-faithful. And if we were all in one denomination, that might have affected us a lot more, but it really doesn't affect me at all because the Methodists are their own denomination. And equally, um, I think the reformation of the Southern Baptists, when they became, they were super liberal in the 70s, but then they, um, their congregation was, and their congregation was actually able to re-overtake the woke liberal um, leaders of the denomination to make it conservative again. And then other denominations followed suit because they realized how to do it from the Southern Baptist Convention. So like the Presbyterian Church of America did it. Um, the Northern Baptist Coalition did it. So I would say that um, the federalism of denominations is actually pretty good. I don't know that that would be my ideal uh, reformation in the U.S. This is a, is a combining of denominations. But um, Right, okay. So I'm not saying that we should all become one denomination, like okay. uh, reverting back to Catholicism, basically putting too much power in one person's hand or even a hundred people's hands uh, to manage the whole United States or world. Okay. Um, and I was just thinking that um, once you started going there, I knew where you're going and that it's good for there to be at least some denominations and some sort of disconnected, uh, maybe a bad word, but yeah, disconnected denominations, because then you can get away from the group think and you can and different uh denominations and organizations can then specialize in various things try different things and then they can be like separate experiments per se so that we know what works or what works where because maybe something works better in one place than it does in another place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i do like what you're saying in the sense of i even I had this experience with my church. So there's a lot of, what's it called, like bubbles, like quote-unquote Christian bubbles. That okay. You focus more on your group more than also knowing what's out there. So you could be you could be two things with this. You could be malicious about this, such as like some, some I think, Westboro Baptist Church, you know, like that's like clearly we, condemn, we would condemn uh -huh. a group like that. Or you could just be passively unaware or ignorant about it for example until you know i was i read more on church history i would have had difficulty understanding what lutherans or presbyterians believe and you know since w and also with what you said before theater i think it's important too having more education in in bible in bible theology study application and also i would throw in church history would allow you to see common elements between denominations and also helps you and your church define what's important what can you agree with what do you say is like whoa 
we're brothers in Christ, but I think it's for the best to have our own separate, you know, churches here. Otherwise, things might not go well. For example, baptism. Like, I would hold hands with Presbyterians, so I would hug them and kiss them. I mean, I'm not to spook anybody, you know, but here, but... Yeah, yeah, holy kiss. A holy, a holy kiss, yeah. yes. Yeah. And so just by being aware of what is your belief of your church, of your denomination, understanding a little bit of church history, getting, you know, some of that background. Actually, I would say, and having more conversation, more engagement with Lutherans. I don't think my church engages that many with that much with other Lutherans or Presbyterians. Having that that relation, that more or less bond, allows you to see, yes, these, there are more brothers and sisters in Christ out there. And it's like, oh, those people, they don't believe the Bible is real. Those people have female pastors. Those people allow abortions, whatever it may be. You can see clearly what is a matter of life or death and then what is a diaphora. Right, yeah. Okay. So I'll just summarize. I want like a theonomic revolution, right? More uh, religion equals politics. Not stumping for particular candidates, mind you. And I have we have episodes on what exactly what my position is there. But um, that's what I would want a reformation on. Sebastian, you're saying biblical inerrancy, which I can definitely get behind uh, being the reformation for today. But it's not, I would, are you in agreement that it's not a, Martin Luther style reformation or do you think that's what is needed? I would I would say it is in the sense that he's calling aware he was calling awareness to a problem and his friends was like, Hey everybody, well, let's I get back on track. Outcome of his okay, 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 not, okay, not okay, okay. Yes, yes. Unfortunately and for, thankfully, thankfully not. Thankfully for the moment. Maybe in Europe. But thankfully not in the US. Yeah, Europe it really is that is it the <laughs> infection in Europe, isn't it? I think the US is not there yet, as far as like complete and utter faithlessness. Yes, my poor family in Denmark, let me tell you. It's, it's it's not good. I would agree with you, actually. Europe needs a Protestant Reformation-style biblical inerrancy reformation if something was going to happen there. But I just don't think we're quite there in the U.S. And Theodore, you think that um, the Reformation that would be very useful for the United States is if we had, like, uh, a awareness of the other denominations, right? A uni- uniting, even if we don't become one denomination, we just unite as brothers and sisters in Christ across, across the nation. Is that... Your description right because even i wouldn't want us to totally conform to each other right um but maybe even in some of that there would be some theological uh, unity okay per se there should be right we all unite on the basics right yeah all right and do you think that would be like protestant reformation style or, or smaller or bigger no comment okay <laughs> no comment well i'm assuming by the nature of it that it can't a uniting of different denominations it can't be like reformation style because the reformation was a splitting so well yeah. there might be because there are some churches that might say that we don't to, right? want yeah. to uh-huh. communicate with others we want to do our thing but yeah so yes i guess it could be but that would be a very strange <laughs> you'd be uniting and dividing so i don't think it would quite be the protestant reformation style thing okay all right well those are just our musings so we've talked about uh, the Protestant Reformation, what it was in general, not all the details because he could go on all day, but the good stuff about it, the bad stuff about it, what it would take to reform today, and then what we'd want it to reform to, just our, just our thoughts. So this has been a great celebration of the Reformation. I'd like to pass it to you guys if you have any last thoughts for our Reformation celebration today. Toast. <laughs> all right. Toast toast that is why we have found our cause and serve the lord jesus christ thanks for listening i've been michael the man behind the machine to my right your left has been sebastian the bookkeeper and virtually it's been 
Theodore under the PC for some friends. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That's just audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful, handsome faces and Theodore virtually right here floating in amongst us with our cool special effects, you should go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause to look at all our videos. We're also on YouTube. You can search us there at foundcause on YouTube as well. We're also on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you might find your podcast these days where you can listen to us on three times speed. God bless you if you can do that. Until next time, we will watch something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.